Um, Paul, you thought you were going to freak me out, send me running when you said, uh, you know, that you were an atheist. When I heard that, I thought, oh, great. I can't wait to have coffee with this guy because I'm going to have so much to talk about with him. I probably agree more with him than I do most of the Christians walking around here. So uh, thank you, Paul. Appreciate you. <laughs> so Mark uh, said that since I left a year ago that there hasn't been any altar calls. So what do I have to work into this morning? Eternity, hell, damnation. What words am I supposed to work into my sermon? Oh, with Satan. Okay, wow, even Satan. <laughs> Wasn't in the manuscript this morning, but we'll work it in at the end. Uh, no, we won't. We definitely won't. Uh, it's, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, in a lot of ways, I'm very comfortable and I'm happy, and I feel at home, and in other ways, it's like so weird. I'm like, what, should I help there? Should I, uh, I, I'm not really sure. You know, I would insert myself before, so uh, it's a little strange. So if it's strange for you to be looking up here and seeing me, that's okay. It's a little strange for me to be looking out and seeing you as well. Um, but this community is so special to us. Uh, it's, it's been the hardest thing in our move. We, we love our house. We love the job. We lo- we've made some good friends. We love our neighborhood. Uh, we love where Emmett goes to school. There's a lot of things we love, but we haven't been able to replace uh, you all. And we've really been trying to replace you, but you're, you're irreplaceable. Is that a word? Irreplaceable is a word, right? Um, so, oh, okay. All the Beyonce fans are like, yeah. Um, so we, we really miss you all. Um, I'm very grateful to be here this morning. Um, I get to talk with your pastors. I know that your pastors, Aurelia and I have a, a standing call that we have. And so I know that they care about you. They, they think about you all the time. Uh, they love you tremendously. They want to see this church do well. And so uh, I hope... I know that you're supporting them well, but if I give a word to continue to support your pastors um, and your leaders because uh, they really love you and they, and they want you to do well. Um, we really miss y'all. I don't, uh, Fran, I think, walked out of the room, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, Fran came into Decatur and was a speaker at a conference that I put on, and she led this worship set, and um, it was a beautiful worship set, and at one point, I just... I just lost it. I was just like tears, like literally like those thick teardrops that you can feel like falling on your shirt type stuff. And I thought these people have to think like I'm nuts or something. Uh, but and I would like to say that it was like this really worshipful moment, but it was actually just like took me back here uh, to Peace of Christ Church. I missed everybody. Uh, so uh, we love you. We think about you all the time. Okay, so this sermon for some of you might be the most obvious sermon you've ever heard. Uh, but whatever, I'm going to preach it anyway. So uh, feel free to say amen if, if you'd like. Okay, so this gospel reading uh, that Paul read just a little bit, of, bit ago comes right after Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He then pre- predicts that someone's going to betray him, and it's right before that uh, Peter will even deny him. But he says... Everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in the midst of all this uncertainty, everyone's really scared. 
really wondering what's going to happen in the future. I don't know if you ever ever scared and worry about what's going to happen in the future. Jesus' command is for them to love one another. He says, listen, you can't go where I'm going, but please love one another. So how do I, for other people, how can they know I'm a disciple of Jesus? I love people. Um, but what does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, I think Drew was getting at that a little bit in his children's sermon today. What does love that Jesus demonstrated look like? Love can mean a lot of things. It can sort of be an abstract comment. I mean, uh, concept. It is a feeling. It's emotion. Uh, it's a commitment. It's action. In the Gospels and in the life of Jesus, we see love being demonstrated in the here and now. Uh, we see it through his miracles. We see it through him eating with people, drinking with people, becoming a friend of sinners. In Matthew 25, uh, we have this metaphorical depiction of the end of all things. But what, are, what is Jesus focusing on then? Feeding, clothing, welcoming, healing, visiting people in prison. And then in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' concerns seem to be here now. Kingdom come here and now. Daily bread, daily needs now. Deliverance now. The biblical text, which is a big one, is largely here and now. Old Testament, mothers and fathers, to prophets, to Jesus, to disciples, to the early church, here and now, concerned with what's going on right now. But much of the theology, which came out of the pulpit of my youth, wasn't so concerned with the here and now. I thought the here and now was bad. It's all going to be, you know, burned up one day. Our bodies are bad. You are bad. The earth is bad. And the goal was to leave this place. We leave it behind. This escapist theology often enabled us to just ignore things that were going on right now. Poverty, well, you know, that's a really big problem. But one day, you know, when we leave this place, it'll all be better in heaven. Income inequality, whew, I don't know. One day, you know, one day we'll fly away. Sexism, racism, climate change, you name it. And the, by the way, the evangelical churches of my childhood really weren't concerned with uh, lots of other problems that I'm sure we could name now. But Jesus prayed for the kingdom to come here, now, on earth, as it is in heaven. The theology I grew up with as a kid in evangelicalism um, treated this place almost like a testing ground. Sort of strange. It was like, we're going to have a test here, but we're, we're really just working for some other place. But... What if heaven is now? What if resurrection's now? What if heaven is a place on earth? Bet you didn't know you were going to get a little song from me this morning. I like it. What if God's will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Now, I have preached a sermon or two on this in the past, and I've deconstructed rapture theologies and uh, hopefully re tried to help reconstruct something more meaningful. So I won't go too far into that today, but my point is this. What we do here and now matters. 
a Christianity that focuses on life after death but doesn't spend time on life before death is not really the Christianity we see represented in the scriptures. What we do here and now matters. Our political engagement matters. It matters to the earth. It matters to the next generation. It matters to all of creation and the animal kingdom. It matters to us. It matters to those who are oppressed and on the margins of society. One of our church starters in Atlanta, uh, who is African-American, wears this shirt that says, Bad Theology Kills. It does. Theology that lifts up the oppressor and ignores the oppressed is not good news. It's not gospel. You know, there was a time in my life where I basically ignored political engagement. Like, my positioning in a lot of ways was uh, the party of apathy. But talk about privilege, right? Like, you have to be an incredibly, say, eh, whatever, I won't get that worked up over it. The theology I was raised with in fundamentalist evangelicalism focused on somewhere else, something else. It didn't necessarily deny that problems existed, but they just didn't really matter. We didn't throw a lot of energy into them because we'd say, at the end of the day, I'll fly away. And I've become more, increasingly more aware of my privilege in many ways. And since moving to Atlanta, and the constant uh, concern that, I've, that I have begun to wake up to when it comes to racism in a world, I've also begun to realize my religious upbringing played a pretty heavy part in it. So I want to talk about racism for a minute or two. I do need to say that I don't mean to whitesplain. If you are a person of color and you're sitting here probably thinking, yeah, I know. So this is a personal testimony. It's in some ways a confession. It's me saying that I have been complicit in white supremacy often in ways that I didn't know because I was asleep. And really, I didn't start to wake up on this until the last few years. And it's interesting because I never would have thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm racist. But I, I would say that when I really started to hit me was in Ferguson and watching, I remember turning on the news and uh, seeing people really upset. And I just remember thinking, the people here must know something that I don't know. Being a person who uh, likes to watch a lot of sports, when Colin Kaepernick decided that he was going to forego uh, fame, power, prestige, wealth, and instead give it all up for a cause, I looked at him and I thought, something, again, has to be going on. He must be able to see something and understand something that I just don't know. But I was reared with lies in the church. Anytime we brought up things with racism, I can just remember the answer being something like, oh, we're just all one race. None of this will matter when we all get to heaven. See, I thought when I was younger that racists were people who used slurs or flew the Confederate flag or had swastika tattoos or were in the KKK. But the racist in my church were just dismissive of problems. Maybe they made jokes or had a superiority complex and looked down on people. I can even remember a youth minister that I had at a lock-in, like an all-night thing, who sang and told us racist jokes. 
Hmm. I mean, what kind of influence does that have on kids in a church when they can look at a spiritual leader that's doing those sorts of things? I'd like to say uh, this was all in the past, but it's still present today. And I cringe when I think about the influence the church has had not only on society, but also on me. How has supremacy intersected with race and the church? You know, in my privilege, I could just ignore it. Silence is really pretty easy. I could just keep going on. But I have committed to dismantling my own racism, to publicly decry it, to denounce it, and to ask God to open my eyes. And in some ways, it's sort of strange because it's like there was this secret. But the secret was from me. I didn't even know it. And I'm waking up to it, and I, I assume I'm just going to keep waking up to it. But as terrible as the faith of my childhood could be at times, my present faith has been a major player in helping wake me up. This faith gives me a pattern to repent and to be born again. To not be silent on matters of injustice. I'm an incredibly privileged person, and I do have guilt. But that guilt can be a major motivator. So what do I do? What do I do? Sit in my own guilt? Or I can do something. For one thing, I'm committed to listening to voices from people of color. Sometimes I just sit down, shut up, and listen. Interfaith helped me tremendously and continues to be an important voice on race. See, I was raised in a Christianity that thought we would just fly away. So again, why would we spend any time on any of this? Why would we take to the streets? Why would we protest? I was raised in a Christianity that said, well, somebody else might be racist for these things, or that's someone else's problem. But it's my problem, and it's our problem. I want a better world for my son and my son on the way. I can't change the past, but I can be part of a better future. See, faith and racism can be especially dangerous when they go hand in hand. When this supremacist mentality that we're the chosen one and God made us supreme, so whatever we believe must be from God. Sometimes it's conscious, but often it's unconscious. It's an attitude. Waking up to racism is interesting, though, because once you've seen it, you can't go back. Once you've seen how the power systems and structures in this country are rigged against our sisters and brothers of color, it's hard to unsee. Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? You're going over the speed limit, and you actually didn't even realize you were speeding? That's sort of like what it's been for me. I didn't realize that I was going in this car that was going faster than the speed limit. I didn't realize the role that I had played. I always just figured it must be somebody else and it's somebody else's responsibility. I was the silent white moderate. The interesting thing is along the way, I thought I was awake, but I was asleep. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Uh, like I said, a couple weeks ago when Fran was in Decatur with us, uh, she played the guitar at 
this gathering that we had uh, on our last night together. And I had borrowed this guitar from a colleague. And uh, so I was taking the guitar back to my house, and I had taken a lift. And uh, this guy had this incredibly interesting story about a really bad car that he had that was a lemon. And I, I, I've always heard of that term, but i never really known anybody who actually had a bad car. So I'm like really interested in his story. And we like, we, even when we got to the house, I was like, no, 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 finish your story. Cause I want to like hear how it all turned out. And then when we got out of the car, I like went out of my car, uh, went up to the bedroom, took a shower, talked to Kaylee about the day. And like an hour later, I was like, oh, I forgot the guitar in the trunk of the car. So instantly I like, get on my phone, I call the guy. I'm like, please, I don't know where you are in Atlanta. I will drive anywhere you are. I will give you money. I'm like, I got to get this guitar because if not, my, you know, I, my colleague's going to kill me. So anyway, I found the guy. I went and got the guitar and went and came back. But it was interesting, like sitting there in my bed, I'm just talking. I'm going away. I didn't realize that there was a problem. And then all of a sudden it hit me, right? Oh, my, I got to do something about that. Um, in a lot of ways, that's the sense that I have right now when it comes to white supremacy and racism and faith in America. It's like I just didn't even realize it's going on, but I see it now, and I've got to be part of the solution. So my prayer now is to become more awake, to develop more empathy. Waking up has taken a long time, but I desire to wake up more. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, I've woken up to so many things over the years at Peace of Christ Church. It's not like we just started the church this way. I've woken up to heteropatriarchy. I've woken up more to sexism and misogyny. I've woken up to homophobia and elitism, to climate change, to income inequality. Movements like Black Lives Matter and Church Too and Me Too, these movements have continued to help me wake up. I encourage those of you who are waking up, and this is to myself too, though, to remain in a place of humility. Wake up, yes, but remember that you always weren't woke. I wasn't. I still not. I'm just learning along the way. And invite other people in grace to join you along the way. Tell your story and invite people to join you. It would be ridiculous if I looked down on people now. I know where they were. Why do I say all this, right? I mean, I get one sermon a year later to come in. This is what I go with. My encouragement is to grow, for you to grow. Continue to evolve. Continue to wake up. I encourage you to act, not silent, to not be still. Christianity isn't just about flying away. It's about bringing a better way of life to the here and now. Join me in listening, join me in learning, join me in acting, join me in evolving, join me in a growing, join me in loving. Amen.